is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number... 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to thank Dan Bongino for filling in Friday. I planned to do the show, but this flu kicked me pretty good in the stomach. So, But I'm about 85%, and me at 85% is better than most of these guys at 100%. Just saying. Let's see. Should we talk about the portraits? No, I don't think so. Should we talk about the genocidal sister inbred of the genocidal fascist inbred who runs North Korea? No, I don't think so. Should we talk about the media slobbering all over the genocidal sister inbred of the genocidal fascist inbred of North Korea? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, what do you expect from the media? I've said before, the New York Times has a clear record during the Holocaust of trying to cover up the Holocaust. Not really going to poke into what's going on in North Korea when they can poke at Trump. What the hell else is there to say about it? The portraits? I think this is going to shock you. I like the portraits. It's too bad they don't look like the Obamas, but I like the portraits. Now, what I like about Obama's portraits, quite frankly, are the flowers in the background. And I don't know who was sitting for Michelle Obama's portrait, but seems like a pretty lady. But it's not her. Okay, done. Over. Who cares? Now, folks, is conservatism dead? You know, uh, I do my best to keep a clear mind and try not to watch or listen too much to others. If I'm in the car, I'll pick it up, something like that. But um, I think some of our brothers and sisters who are in front of cameras and behind microphones have surrendered. Which is really quite shocking to me. Uh, the laws of economics don't change. I don't care who the politicians are. There's one thing that's very confusing to me. I keep hearing... People talk about the swamp. The swamp. I see. And this budget that they just voted on and the president signed, is that a swamp puncher? It's the swampiest of the swamp budgets that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's a swamp, swamp, swampy swamp budget. That's what it is. The vast majority of money isn't to the military. The vast majority of the money is to everything else. Now, the military, of course, needs a significant shot in the arm. It absolutely does, given, to what, given what Obama and McConnell did to the military through sequestration. But we've now reached a point. We've now reached a point where the Republicans are so cowardly that they're so quick to surrender. They're so scared of their own shadows that they cut these deals they won't prioritize. So in a sense, they agree with the Democrats. A dollar increase for the Marines is a dollar increase for food stamps. If you get the point. 
Now we're on to the next big conservative issue, which is $1.5 trillion for infrastructure. Wait a minute. I thought it was supposed to be $1 trillion. Well, what are you, purist? What are you, right-wing nut? What do you mean? Now it's $1.5 trillion, but don't worry. It's only $200 billion of our money. Well, what happened to the highway trust fund? What highway trust fund? Ladies and gentlemen, every time you put a gallon of fuel in your vehicle, you pay a tax to the federal government, as well as state and local in many cases. But you pay a tax to the federal government. A tax. What happened to that money? Well, it went to the same place where the Social Security money went and the Medicare money went. What are you talking about? Kaput! It's gone! But now we have a great idea. Infrastructure. Just say our bridges are falling down, our streets are crumbling. Uh, we need new this and new that. And, uh, you know, the war's over and uh, we spent $7 trillion in the Middle East, so we ought to spend $1.5 trillion on our... Is that how it works? What does one have to do with the other? Ready for a shocker? Most road building, bridge fixing, tunnel fixing is the responsibility of states and localities. Not the responsibility of the federal taxpayer. Whatever happened to federalism? Ah, come on, Mark. Don't you believe in the interstate highway system? I'm not talking about the interstate highway system. Why should you and I pay for airports in other cities? If tiles are falling from tunnels in Baltimore, why isn't Baltimore paying for that? So now you and I have to pay for all these things, and there's no money. We just had a massive budget passed. Hey, come on, markets. Public-private partnership. It's always a public-private partnership. Who the hell do you think builds our tanks, our ships, our fighter jets? The federal government doesn't have a construction force standing there. They don't have bulldozers and uh, dump trucks and, and uh, cement factories and all the rest of it. It's always a public-private partnership. And then I read where Mulvaney said, one dollar. And by the way, he's a good guy from South Carolina. He sounds like he's from Boston to me. I don't know, just my own ears. He says, one dollar in infrastructure spending will get us... 40 construction dollars. I said, what the hell is a construction dollar? But don't worry. $50 billion for rural infrastructure. I said, yeah, wait a minute. What the hell is rural infrastructure? You mean roads in rural areas? Yes, yes. Well, why are you calling it rural infrastructure? Roads are roads. All the roads aren't in the cities, are they? So... uh We've got that. And then we have, after that, our next conservative item. What is it, Mark? Amnesty. Yeah. What? Wait, amnesty? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amnesty. Didn't the president run on amnesty? Didn't the Republicans run on amnesty? Didn't everybody say the Gang of Eight was the greatest thing since sliced bread? I wish the Democrats hadn't gotten in the way. Yes, amnesty. 1.8 million, which will equal over time 11 million. You must be a xenophobe. I don't even know what a xenophobe is. I haven't even bothered to look it up. Amnesty. And then when we're done with that, one more. Family leave. Family leave. What? Yes. 
a brand new massive entitlement. You want to talk about the portraits? I don't want to talk about the portraits. I want to talk about a problem we have. They say the Tea Party's dead. The Tea Party's not dead. The Tea Party's been deceived. The Tea Party has been lied to by the Republican Party. It's the greatest deceit in political history. The Tea Party, which knocked out the Democrats and Pelosi in the House and brought in the Republicans. What the hell have we gotten for it? Fiscally, I mean. What the hell have we gotten for it? Then look on the Senate side. Mitch McConnell hates the Tea Party, hates conservatives, hates conservatives who run in primaries. Spends all his time trying to ensure that he remains the leader of something and someone and somewhere. And the president. The president has done some marvelous things. And he's been under unrelenting assault. And the left has done nothing but try to sabotage him from day one. But there's no excuse for this, ladies and gentlemen. For all the elected parts of our federal government, the House, the Senate, and the presidency, to turn on us like this. And by turning on us, I don't even mean the conservative base. The two parties and all the elected branches are in unison right now. They're spending like drunken Marxists. And they're using the military as an excuse to do it. Well, you know, we needed the military spending, so, hey, spend away! No. No. If you needed to shut down the government, you should have shut down the government. And as I've said many times before, that's pretty much how Reagan got most of what he needed to get to defeat the Soviet Union. Every now and then you've got to stare these guys down. The problem is, the Republican, are, the Republican Party is these guys. I want to remind you, as I did last week and on Levin TV, the progressive movement didn't start really with the Democrat Party or the Republican Party. It was in both parties. But the progressive movement came to the fore, really, in elected politics in the Republican Party. Its first successful election was the presidency of Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt was an accidental president. He was vice president under McKinley. They wanted to get him out of New York. He was governor of New York. He was hostile to capitalism and hostile to business, despite the fact that he was born into a very wealthy family as was his distant cousin, Franklin Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt was very solid on national security. Very, very solid. But when it came to domestic spending and domestic affairs, even when it came to the Constitution and the Declaration, he was a progressive. He gave a very famous speech, I would call an infamous speech, which I've written about in Rediscovering Americanism, called The New Nationalism. In many ways, John McCain understands this. That's why John McCain does what he does on domestic affairs. But Roosevelt was actually worse. And uh, he was an accidental president, as you know. McKinley was assassinated. He was the vice president. He became president at a very young age. And uh, subsequently, after Taft was president, he wasn't happy with Taft. Taft, who was not particularly conservative, but... He wasn't a radical progressive. He was somewhat progressive. Roosevelt was not happy with Taft, so he decided to run for president again, and he ran in a third party. 
The Bull Moose Party, you might say, that was the nickname. The official name was the Progressive Party. You had Woodrow Wilson running, an intellectual progressive since the 1860s, 70s. You had Theodore Roosevelt running, an outspoken former president progressive. And Howard Taft, more of a rhino type as we would call them today. We've had really two philosophically conservative presidents since then. Calvin Coolidge, an accidental president himself, became vice president when Harding died. He was an outstanding president. And one of the things he did is he gave a speech about the Declaration of Independence, countering everything Woodrow Wilson had said and written about it earlier in the century. And the other one would obviously be Ronald Reagan. Now, these men weren't perfect, but they were great, and they were courageous, and they understood the tide of history, and they're trying to turn the tide ever so slowly. After Ronald Reagan's successful eight years, we had George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush could have built on the Reagan legacy, but he chose not to. He lurched back to progressivism, just as his son did, George W. Bush. Prior to the last month or so, you've heard me say, and it was repeated by the backbenchers all over the place, that the Trump presidency is the most conservative presidency since Ronald Reagan. Well, the, the uh, hasn't worked. It's not working out that way right now. It's not working out that way right now. The swamp has had a hell of a month. The swamp has had a hell of a month with our budget with our debt, with our spending, with infrastructure. They're going to have a hell of a time with a good time. Amnesty, a brand new entitlement program. They're going to take all those issues and beat the president over the head with it and beat the Republican Party over the head with it too because it will never be enough for them. We learned that from Richard Nixon, you see. When Richard Nixon lurched left, creating the EEOC, creating OSHA, affirmative action, uh, was getting involved in the economy, wage and price controls, did a number of things to try and appease the left and the media. They hated his guts. They never slowed down, but they took what they could get from him, and they got a lot. And they got a lot. The Tea Party isn't dead. The Tea Party can never be dead. The Tea Party is about liberty, the Declaration, the Constitution. The Tea Party is about our founding principles. And those founding principles are about humanity, unalienable rights. The Tea Party is no more dead than the ideas of Aristotle and Cicero, of Locke and Montesquieu, of Burke and Adam Smith, of Western civilization and the great enlightenment and reformation. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Good morning, Schmo. With a real Schmo on there, Brett Stevens. The guy is a complete putz. 
So here we have the uh, Putskins, the two of them. Last Friday, cut six, go. Uh, do you agree with what somebody said uh, earlier uh, this this program that that last night's deal really did drive the final nail into the Tea Party's coffin? There are no small government conservatives running Washington anymore. Let's stop right there. So how does that drive a nail in the Tea Party? The Tea Party isn't running for anything. Running for anything. Call us the Reagan Revolution, the Tea Party, Outsiders, whatever you will. Go ahead. I hope that's true. And I hope that's true because I hope it's the end of the era of congressional puritanism or, or purism, which makes the country ungovernable. I mean, look, this was... Oh, that's the problem, moron. Oh, yeah. Puritism or purism. That's the phrase they love. Congressional puritanism or pure. Yeah, it's been horrible, hasn't it, ladies and gentlemen? There's been so many handcuffs placed on Congress. They can't raid trust funds. At, oh, they do. Oh, they can't raise the debt limit. Oh, they do. Oh, they can't reach trillion-dollar uh, annual deficits anymore. But they do. They can't add to the overall debt of over $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities. But they do. Oh, yes, Congress is so controlled by the Tea Party. There's puritism, or is it purism? It's just beyond the pale, ladies and gentlemen. This guy. All right, let's. We'll be right back. America's most powerful conservative voice, The Mark Levin Show. Dial in now, 877 381 3811. What we need to do, Levinites, I'm being honest about this, is move the entire Tea Party movement, conservative movement, all of our focus into the Convention of States and the Article 5 movement. We need to do that. We're getting nowhere with Congress. Did you really believe after this last election that they would be spending money like this? Did you really believe after this election, that we'd have the biggest Republican proposal for amnesty in decades? I didn't. Did you really believe that they would be talking about creating a new entitlement program, family leave, where the Republicans said they would oppose it under Obama? Where you and I pay for it? Where's this money coming from? And we knew the president talked about a trillion-dollar infrastructure program toward the end of the campaign. But he upped it to $1.5 trillion? Why not $10 trillion or $100 trillion? What's taking place here, ladies and gentlemen, is absolutely immoral. It is unconscionable. And it is couched in the opposite. It's couched in terms of how humane it is, and we got to stop our bridges from collapsing, and this, that, and the other. The government spends over $4 trillion a year. They can't stop our bridges from collapsing. And by the way, I'm not even counting state and local governments. You might as well double it. Altogether they spend what? I'll estimate $7, $8 trillion a year. The whole damn economy is $17.5 trillion. So they don't have money for the essentials. The reason, even if you believe what they say and I don't, is because they're so involved in so many other things so involved in every corner of our society, in every corner of our, of our nation, in things that are none of their damn business, 
They don't focus on what they're supposed to do. How is it that we spend over $4 trillion in the last several years and we don't have enough money for the military? And in order to get enough money for the military, we have to have massive new domestic spending, almost equal to what Obama did in his phony stimulus bill. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this, but I cannot believe that the Republicans continue to make McConnell their leader. And yet I can believe it, because McConnell is a, he's a blank slate. He's a nothing. He's a, he's, he's, he's jello. Amorphous. Trump likes to say he's the king of the deal. He's not the king of the deal. McConnell's the king of the deal if you like to be sold out. He'll sell you out for nothing. Then I'll take a bow. I got the military. Hey, I got the military the money they want. No, you didn't. The military could have gotten the money that it needed if we had waited a few more weeks and it banged heads with the, with the radicals on the left. But McConnell's worried about himself. That's what he's worried about. Paul Ryan has fundamentally transformed. Paul Ryan is looking more and more to me like Nancy Pelosi. Look closely at him. Looking a lot like Nancy Pelosi. This is a guy who came out of the conservative movement. When he does call me, which is very infrequently, and it was, what, a year ago, whenever it was, telling me how great they were doing or whatever, and he even said to me, I, I haven't been listening lady, lately. Have you been bashing me? Anyway, uh, I read your books, Mark. I love your book. Well, you don't. Obviously, comprehend them. You don't comprehend them. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to go from one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure right into amnesty. And then they think they're going to have this massive re-election effort. Oh, well. And I'm on the outs, you see. I'm, I'm the odd man out. I, I think I'm the only one left or one of the few who uh, is not going to spend all day talking about the Democrats and the media and portraits and, uh, and, uh, and, and that slob's uh, pathetic sister. What's his name? Un. Kim Jong fat boy. And his uh, whatever. So, I know the lib media doesn't, doesn't understand us. That's okay. The lib media doesn't understand what's going on under the radar. They have no sense for what's going out on in the countryside. What people say to each other, how concerned they are, how fed up they are. All you do is promote anger. I don't promote anger in the least. I promote logic and rationality and arguments and history and economics and, and those sorts of things. I don't provoke anything. Well, we can't just sit here and take it and watch the country crumble and rot from within. Wouldn't be the first great country that did. I've told you many times before. The Roman Empire existed for over 500 years. That's half a thousand years. We're not even at our 300th year yet. We're not even at our 300th year yet. You would have thought Athens would have survived forever. No. Made a good comeback in the country of Greece, but no, it didn't. Gone. Socrates, gone. Plato, gone. 
Aristotle, gone. Not their thoughts. Rome, gone. Not Cicero, not Brutus, not Cato, but still, you know what I mean. Gone. We listen to the voices of the past because they give us lessons for the future. Let me ask you this question. I like to ask a lot of questions, as you know. Let me ask you a question. If the framers of the Constitution wanted to create the kind of government we have today, why didn't they say so? Why didn't they say in the Constitution that the states are the little sisters of big brother government? Why didn't they say that the Supreme Court has the final word on all things where the Supreme Court claims to have the final word? Why didn't they say that? Why didn't they say, oh, we need a new article in the Constitution to create this massive bureaucracy with infinite offices and divisions and units and departments and agencies employing two million people to advance an agenda that does not necessarily have to comport with the public's will. Why didn't they say that? They didn't say that. Why didn't they say we shall have open borders, like the Wall Street Journal argued for an amendment. And yet they have, a, they have statements in there about immigration. Why have any statements about immigration? Open borders are open borders. But they didn't do that. Everything I've just said to you is going on in this country. This is why I say so much of what takes place in this government is post-constitutional. Oh, what a radical idea. No, it's not an idea. It is reality. It is an analysis based on fact. Based on fact. And we will not, unless we engage on the battlefield of ideas, we will not be able to reverse course. Now while we can continue to fight at the federal level, I'm not against it. We must understand there is no recourse at the federal level. There are little respites with Coolidge, with Reagan, even with Trump before this last month or three weeks or whatever it is. These are respites. But the trajectory is clear. See, I'm not running for office. I don't have to be a Pollyanna. I don't have to put a smiley face everywhere. And I know after 15 years on the radio, and after, was it 12 years, Rich, as a syndicated host, when everybody counted me out because of the time of this program, 6 p.m. on the East Coast, no, I can't do it, can't do it, yeah, yeah, fine. I know that you and my audience, you are the smartest of the smartest audiences. I know why you're here. I know sometimes you cringe at what I have to say because you know it's true. And if I'm wrong, I correct myself. But the truth is, the government is out of control. The spending is out of control. The surveillance is out of control. We've got people roaming our streets by the millions who aren't even supposed to be in this country. That's right, I said it. People by the millions roaming our streets who aren't even supposed to be here. And we have two political parties that cannot wait to legalize them. Cannot, cannot wait. And they tell us that's humanity. They tell us that's compassion. And they say, if you and I, you and I disagree that people who came here as children should have to go home. That they should have to go home. That you're inhumane. 
How did people come here as children without their parents? Can somebody please explain that to me? Who's inhumane then? It's their parents, not me, not you. The humane thing is to return them to their parents. But let's even put that aside. Why would you, why would the President of the United States take what was 687, 800,000 people tops who signed up for this DACA, which was unconstitutional, which was unconstitutional, which Obama did in violation of separation of powers. He created his own law. The Republicans went to, to the courts to fight it and they won. Why? Would you take that and say, you know what, I'll negotiate against myself. Let's make it 1.8 million people, and not legalization, citizenship. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, and he's applauded by conservative radio. Oh, he's applauded by conservative TV. Oh, wow. He got them. Look how he positioned the Democrats. Excuse me? It's not about positioning the Democrats. It's about your communities. It's about the rule of law. It's about doing the right thing. It's about virtue. I watch this guy, Paul Ryan. I watch him transition into something I've, I've become ashamed of. During the tax battle, he was talking like Nancy Pelosi. Not only looking like her, talking like her. Using class warfare. Don't worry. The rich don't get anything. In fact, their rates are going to go up. Excuse me? What is that? That Marxist claptrap. Hey! He's all over the place doing it. This budget stuff? Don't worry, Democrats. Once we blow through all the caps on spending, like never before, and you're going to love us, just like Obama, we're going to get right to DACA. Right to DACA? And they're not doing DACA anymore. We need to stop talking like, ooh, DACA, DACA, DACA. The dreamers, ooh, the dreamers. They're doing amnesty. Flat out, massive amnesty. Which is why you don't hear from Jeb Bush anymore. Except when you do, actually, he's attacking Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, as it turns out on this, is one of the conservatives saying, Hey, wait a minute. We didn't even do that under the Gang of Eight. Shut up, Marco. What's wrong with you? What, are you a purist? What, are you a purist? Amnesty. Massive spending. Massive domestic spending. They're going to fund Obamacare. We're now subsidizing Obamacare by the tune of billions and billions of dollars. We're going to pull it out by its roots, says McCabe. By its roots. Get that damn thing. We're going to pull it out by its roots. It's here forever. Forever. You like your health care? Well, in this case, you get to keep it. Because it's a massive deductible and massive policy costs. And almost no choices. Welcome to socialism. You know, when I wrote Ameritopia, I said, we need to stop using this word progressivism. Because they've stolen the word progress. It's statism. 
And then when I wrote Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism, I said, I got to use this word progressivism because that's what people use to describe this movement. That's what the history books say and that's who they are. Call it what you will, it is a form of tyranny. I know it's hard for people to realize it today because you can still go to the movies or go to McDonald's, go to 7-Eleven and get a hot dog, do this. It's a form of tyranny. It doesn't happen all at once. We're not having a communist revolution in this country. This isn't Mao's China or Lenin's Russia. In many ways, it's more nefarious because the institutions of our society are being used to destroy our society. And it becomes much more complicated and complex, particularly for people who don't pay attention to these things. It's hard to get their attention. I'll be right back. You know, living dangerously can be a thrill, but waiting until the last minute to purchase her a Valentine's gift, now that's playing with the fire. Guys, you've got only today to make this happen. So do it right and win Valentine's Day with 1-800-Flowers.com. I've already done it, but you have to hurry. Right now you can get 18 enchanted roses for only $29.99. This is your last chance for this great offer, so take advantage now. Valentine's Day is in two days. It's really less than that if you think about it. 18 Enchanted Roses for only $29.99. It's an amazing last-minute offer from 1-800-Flowers. But you don't have much time, so hurry. Place your order immediately. Now, this gorgeous bouquet featuring radiant pink and red roses, it's the perfect Valentine's surprise she's guaranteed to love. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her amazement. Make sure you lock in this offer, only good while supplies last. This Valentine's, wow her with a beautiful bouquet from my Rose Authority. 1-800-Flowers.com to order 18 enchanted roses for only $29.99. Do what I did. I did exactly this. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click on the radio icon, it's up on the right, and enter code LEVIN, just spell out L-E-V-I-N. Order now. Go there now. That's 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on the radio icon, enter code L-E-V-I-N, and you'll say big. The roses will show up on time. They'll be beautiful, and that's a wonderful thing. Valentine's Day is wonderful, I think. You know, people say every day is Valentine's Day. It's true for many of us, but it's also a day where you can really focus in and say things that maybe you haven't said enough. And I have wonderful women in my life. But tomorrow's a special day in my family, too. February 13th. You know why, Mr. Producer? It's my mother's birthday. So my mother's birthday is tomorrow, and Valentine's Day is the next day. And she's a beautiful, wonderful lady. All right. Can I ask you something, Mr. Producer? What the hell is wrong with my computer? It's up there. I got the call screen up there. I speak for three minutes. Poof! Do we have a good caller? 
35 seconds, that's not enough time for a good call. I'll tell you what, I've got more I want to talk about next hour. We'll take some callers next hour. You know, I wasn't here Friday. I need to get some of this off my chest. Plus, I need to counter what is apparently the overwhelming belief now within the Republican Party and in the so-called conservative movement that massive, big, deficit, debt-creating, uh, redistribution of wealth government. It's okay. It's okay. It really is. It's okay because there's really not a whole lot we can do about it. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hi everybody, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to move into some other areas, what took place in Israel. Just a couple days ago, um, and a few other areas beyond that as well. Do you know who Tom Carper is, by the way? Tom Carper? I'll talk about him in a minute. Before I do that, I told you that uh, you know Nixon surrendered over and over and over again to the Democrats, trying to get deals, trying to get them off his back, trying to persuade the media to come to his side, but of course they would have none of it. The Democrats were furious that Nixon won in a landslide and defeated McGovern. And they would not accept the fact that McGovern was defeated. Now, McGovern was a radical leftist. Although today, much less so than Obama is, I can tell you that. Much less so than than most of the Democrat Party. But I want you to hear Chuck Schumer on the floor of the Senate today. Okay? And then we're going to move on. Cut three, go. Democrats want to work in a bipartisan way to improve our infrastructure, which is why we put forward a real plan that would expand access to high-speed internet across the country, rebuild our roads and bridges, modernize our electric grid, while creating millions and millions of good-paying, middle-class construction jobs. Unfortunately, the President's plan falls short on all these fronts. So Trump wants to spend $1.5 trillion, $200 billion at least, of federal dollars up front. And for Schumer, that falls short. What? This is my point. Cut four, go. Instead of proposing direct federal investments to help all parts of the country, the Trump infrastructure plan relies on private parties or state and localities to put up the lion's share of the money. In turn, those entities would either have to charge local taxpayers new tolls or raise taxes and other fees to pay for the new infrastructure. Now, let's stop. Now, that's true. But the money has to come from somewhere. I mean, to be a progressive, you have to have a mind of a two-year-old in a candy store or a two-year-old in an ice cream shop. I want and I get no comprehension of money, of paying for things, of earning something. So for states and localities, they would actually have to pay money. But for the federal government, it's pixie dust. And this is why when 
conservatives or I guess now pseudo-conservatives say, I don't understand what the problem is. We've had debts and debts and debts. So I had a friend of mine say this to me. All these years, we've never had a problem. I guess you're not familiar with the, with the Great Depression. Not just this one, but the century before. Or massive inflation. I guess you're not familiar with any of these events. The bank failure, the SNL failure, double-digit interest rates. Just because we haven't had the, the ultimate apocalypse, the complete collapse of the economy, which will happen one day if this keeps up, we have had signs when politicians interfere in ways that are aggressively violent to the economy and to the market system. And so for Schumer, the federal government has to nationalize infrastructure. It's that simple. It's a federal responsibility. Student loans, federal responsibility. Healthcare, federal responsibility. Education, federal responsibility. Housing, federal responsibility. Marriage, federal responsibility. Baking cakes, federal responsibility. And on and on and on. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is progressivism. States ought to be left to handle state roads, state bridges, state tunnels, state bike paths, state infrastructure. And yet, listen to all these Republicans and so-called conservatives today. Yeah, yeah, I, I was driving through a tunnel and, and, and one of the chips, one of the things fell on me. Well, where the hell's all your money going for? A tile that fell down. So it's not enough for Schumer. Which brings me to a more universal point. And I've talked about this for years and years and years, but let me try and crystallize it even more. Where is this party taking us? The Republicans are, are uh, they are what they are. The Democrat Party is the leading party in the country. They've conquered most of the Republican Party, I mean ideologically. I don't care what they say, the Republicans, on the Senate floor, the House floor. I don't care what they say on TV, on, on ra in radio interviews. I don't care what they say when they campaign. When the rubber hits the road, they're drunk drivers just like the leftists. But this party and this ideology, which are now one and the same, the Democrat Party is a radical progressive party. And as I've said again and again, the government, the Democrat Party, the media, all progressive. All one helping the other. All one promoting the other. Advancing the other. Appendages of each other. Where are they taking us? How will we know when we've reached nirvana? How will we know when we've reached paradise? When will we know that we're in utopia? You see, I've been thinking about this while suffering from the flu, stuck on my back, drinking Gatorade and eating saltine crackers. Let me ask you a question. We know what we want, you and I. We have a Constitution. We know what the Constitution says. We know the Constitution is the manifestation of our founding document, the Declaration of Independence. We know what it says. We know what the principles are. We know where they come from. And yet we're being dragged and pushed, and some people sprinting, towards some finish line which fundamentally changes America. Okay, what's beyond the finish line? 
Where is the finish line? Where, what are the boundaries to this thing? They don't give us a document. They don't say, well, here's our constitution that we propose. They don't say, here's our principles. No, they emote. They name call. Where are they? Where, what is it? Where's your blueprint? I'm not talking about platitudes and generalities. I'm not talking about emotion and passion. I'm not talking, I'm asking. When will we know that we've reached a point? When we'll be left alone? Do you know the answer to that, Mr. Producer? Do any of you out there know the answer to that? There is an answer, you know. And the answer is never. There's no end to the ideas to be imposed on society. It's one thing if you as an individual have infinite ideas and you want to try and pursue them all, go ahead. It's America. It's quite another when you're trying to manage and control entire people and you have infinite ideas and you push and you lurch and you grab and you seize in order to advance them. And when they don't work out, because ultimately they can't, they're an impossibility when you try and impose them on a vast society. The outcomes are predictable, but not as you predict. They're predictably awful or worse. The problem is for progressives, they cannot accept failure. Because to accept failure is to accept the fact that their ideology, their ideology is fraudulent. The progressive ideology, the backbenchers, listen, take notes, repeat this tomorrow. The progressive ideology is fraudulent. Human beings aren't as the progressives say. All of us aren't as the progressives say. We don't want them to impose their will on us. And yet, human beings are every bit as what we say they are, particularly among the progressives. That is, those who want to control us. You and I say human beings are imperfect. If you're imperfect in your own life, fine. As long as you don't break the law or do something immoral, it's of no consequence to the rest of society. But if you're in a position to impose your will, your imperfections, your ideology on the rest of us, it's not only dangerous... It's catastrophic. I don't care what Chuck Schumer thinks if he's just a mere citizen. If he's speaking on Thanksgiving and lecturing his family. If he's going on and on about nationalizing infrastructure, nationalizing health care, nationalizing education. Who cares? It's no different than a homeless guy on a soapbox on the corner somewhere wearing a, a, a raincoat. But when he's the minority leader of the United States Senate and can run circles around the majority leader, McConnell, who's dumbfounded day in and day out all day long, then it becomes a problem. Particularly when we're so far unmoored from the Constitution that there are so few limits and obstacles to this kind of power. Despite fools like Brett Stevens burping up preposterous arguments that the purists have somehow won the day. 
But ignoramuses surround us, ladies and gentlemen, and some of them happen to write for the New York Times. Progressivism is an exceedingly dangerous and, in the end, anti-human ideology because it has no boundaries. It doesn't accept corrections. It has no circumspection. And its grip gets tighter and tighter around the throat of society. The more incompetent its ideology proves to be. That's the problem. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. getting close, ladies and gentlemen. The first Life, Liberty, and Levin program on the Fox News Channel is Sunday, February 25th, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So we're less than two weeks away. I already know who the first guest is going to be. It's somebody I want to do an interview for the first show. No, I'm not allowed to say yet. No, it's, I wish I could get Barack Obama, but it's not. But I think you're going to like it a lot. So, it'll be February 25th, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific. I don't know what other time it is, the rest of the country, you all can figure that out. And what I've decided to do, and I talked about this a few months ago, but I think it's time to reiterate it, is a long-form interview. You probably haven't heard that phrase or you haven't heard it lightly because it's not really done anymore. So I'm not going to have a conga line of guests. We're going to sit down, the guest, one or two tops, and me, and discuss stuff. And um, much more deeply than would typically otherwise be done. The goal isn't to keep a frenetic pace and boom, 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 boom. The goal is to learn as much as we can, reveal as much as we can about incredibly important and interesting subjects um, uh, using what's between our ears. Now, when Fox approached me about doing a show, this is what I told them I wanted to do. And I want to say... Mr. Murdoch and, and Suzanne Scott and all the others said, absolutely, do what you're comfortable with. And they got behind this 100%. So that is the point. I just remember as a young teenager, those were the kind of shows that influenced me. Watching Milton Friedman on PBS, watching Bill Buckley on Firing Line, Watching uh, Tom Sowell, Walter Williams, so many others, it really opened my eyes, and I was fascinated by it. And there were other shows, too. And uh, that's the sort of thing I want to do. That's the sort of thing I want to do. So I hope you'll join me. Look, if you don't join me, I'll just go eventually go away anyway. But... If you're interested in that sort of thing, I think your family and your kids would be. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so that starts February 25th, 10 p.m. Eastern. It's something new for us, new for Fox. 
And I think you're going to have, uh, I think you're going to like it a lot. If you like this show, I think you're going to like it a lot. If you like my books, I know you're going to like it a lot. Um, I just have a different background than most people. You know, as a teenager, I played sports. I had a lot of fun. I had a bunch, I had a handful of buddies. I played organized sports. We played sports in the backyard. Uh, you know, some days I was uh, tougher in the street than other days and, uh, and yet I was, I was always devouring information. You know the story. I, I would go down to Independence Hall. These things really fascinated me. And, um, and the title tells you everything. Life, Liberty, and Levin. I want us to talk about life. Not in a gestalt way or a, a psychoanalytical way. I don't care about any of that. But like in the Constitution. Liberty. What do we mean by liberty? Down the road, a future show, maybe in the summer, I'm trying to get a truly brilliant man who, who write, who spent his, most of his career writing about liberty. And you probably never heard of him before. And I find his writings absolutely fascinating. And I want to bring that to as many people as I can. It doesn't matter if you went to college or not. Because many of the things we're going to talk about, you probably weren't even taught in college. Most certainly not in high school. And you're not hearing about much of it generally out there, unless maybe you hear one of my shows. But that's the sort of thing I want to do. <coughs> there will be times where I'll choose a, a very liberal, yet very bright person, maybe a professor, economist, historian, something like that, to go at it intellectually. Intellectually. So, you know, that that's the kind of show we're going to do. And uh, I think it's going to be a blast. I don't mean just for me. Obviously, I'm the host, but I think you're going to really enjoy it. If, uh, and on a Sunday night at 10 p.m., seriously, it's the perfect time for it. Not 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. They even asked me, I said, 10 p.m. It's the toughest slot, and it's the right slot. Again, that's when I used to watch a lot of this stuff. The Sunday before I would go to school or listen to the radio. I was addicted to talk radio. I'll tell you this. I used to listen to Larry King late at night. It's before he became a political hack and a left winger and now he works for Russian TV or whatever he's doing. He would do, he would do these interviews. And they were fascinating interviews. As well as others. So, I think all ages, I think you're going to love it. Young teenagers, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, senior citizens, people my age. Uh, this show is for you. I really think so. It's going to be quite different. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I shall return. America's Tyranny Hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Cybercrime is getting worse. By the way, is there nothing better than feeling pretty good coming out of a flu? Can you tell I have a bit of a... Uh, well, I, I'm walking better. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? 
uh, I'm really striding now. All right, whatever. You know, cybercrime is getting worse every day. You hear about credit card theft, tax fraud, medical identity theft. The list goes on and on. But you don't need to stop using technology. You just need a new kind of identity protection, a new kind of identity protection that I got too, and my family has too. Now I have found the best in the class, and that's why I'm talking about my ID care. That's it. They used to only cover Fortune 500 companies and huge organizations, but their stellar service is now available to us, the little guy, like you and me. Look, hoping you won't fall victim isn't a protection strategy. And credit freezes are not enough. They won't help you with tax fraud or other types of ID theft. And by the way, now's the time where these these horrific cyber criminals strike the hardest. It's tax time. You and your family need the best protection possible. My ID Care covers you for the nine types of identity theft with highly personal service. Now, I spoke with CEO Tom Kelly. And he's so committed to your personal protection that he provides a 100% identity recovery guarantee or your money back. 100%. Learn more and get 15% off at myidcare.com. That's myidcare.com. Use promo code MARK so you get the 15% off. Or you can call them. If you're in traffic right now listening to me or you're near your cell phone, it's 866 334 3084 866-334-3084 or visit myidcare.com but use promo code mark that's promo code mark I'll say it again so you can write it down myidcare.com promo code mark or call 866-334-3084 and tell them mark sent you let my id take care of you just like they take care of me and I'm telling you, this is the platinum level. This is as good as it gets. And they're a wonderful sponsor, which is exactly why I've moved over to them and asked them to, to join us over here on the Levin program. 866-334-3084 or visit myidcare.com, promo code MARK. All right. Well, if you've been following me on Facebook, and by the way, Facebook has changed the way that Facebook does Facebook. And it's very frustrating to me, as I'm sure it is to many of you. Not because it's me, not because I'm a conservative. They're doing this generally. And so we're posting something that's actually very good from the Daily Wire, uh, the site of our buddy Ben Shapiro, and we're putting it up on uh, my social sites. Right, Mr. Producer? And that way you can read an explanation on how you can use Facebook, in our case, as you used to use it. Do I have that about right, Rich? Yeah. So check it out. There's many, many of you, hundreds and hundreds, 1.3 some odd million of you. Uh, this is our community. This is our national town hall meeting. Uh, I'm not in charge of Facebook. I wish I was. This isn't based on ideology. It's not based on me. Uh, you can go there. We're, uh, we're going to put the Daily Wire uh, link up there, and it will explain uh, what's going on. And it's very easy to fix. But you have to do it yourself. I can't do it. Now, something happened over the weekend that deserves our focused attention. As I was saying, if you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, even when I'm not on the air, even when I have the flu, you'll know that I posted about Israel and the, Ira- and the Iranians and the Syrians and Hezbollah and the Russians. Basically, it's this. 
The Iranians sent a drone into Israel, a military drone, a, a spy drone. <clears throat> uh, they sent the drone from an Iranian uh, location within Syria, from an Iranian base within Syria. Iran has built bases, military bases, and intelligence bases uh, in Syria uh, for one purpose and one purpose only, because it expects to trigger a war with Israel. It is building um, uh, also production facilities, factories for Hezbollah, uh, so they can manufacture more sophisticated missiles than Hezbollah, which is an essentially a terrorist militia wing of the Iranian uh, army. Uh, they have 150,000 missiles aimed at Israel right now, far more sophisticated than Hamas ever had. These aren't being made in somebody's basement. They're being made on assembly lines. Iran is also building supply lines. So they can get supplies from Iran into Syria, to Syria, to Lebanon, uh, all for the purpose of building up a, uh, a military presence, a significant military presence and terrorist presence on the border with Israel, with Syria and Lebanon. Israel over the past many years has been sending its jets into Iran and sometimes into Lebanon uh, to try and take out the more sophisticated weapon systems that the Iranians are having installed either directly or through their surrogates and uh, making other tactical strikes in order to protect themselves. And the reason simple. It's such a tiny country geographically, really in every way, population-wise. They cannot have a big Iranian force, Hezbollah force, Syrian force, being built up bigger and bigger armies, missiles, you know, airfields, factories, all along its border. Because they can't survive that kind of a situation. So they're trying to take out, again, it's difficult, pinprick attacks, uh, convoys, other things that they see, factories here and there. And, of course, they'll never be 100% in, in terms of their uh, uh, getting all of them. But the Iranians are constantly at it, at it, at it, at it, because they want war. They want to provoke a war. They want to directly create a war. And then there's another element in here, and it's the Russians, Putin. Putin backs Syria. Putin also has been working with Iran. Uh, these missile batteries and these uh, anti-aircraft batteries that Israel's taking out, they're Russian. Syria doesn't build them. And many of them have been put there by the Iranians. And so this is a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. Iran has toppled the legitimate government in Yemen and is trying to install its own regime. And you have tens of thousands of people who are starving to death now. You have complete anarchy and terrorism taking place in that country. And why? Not only because of the geographic position of Yemen. Take a look on a map but also they want to take out Saudi Arabia. Very little is said about what's going on in Iraq. Iran is still in Iraq, even though ISIS is mostly out of Iraq. Iran is still in Syria, even though ISIS has been effectively, on the battlefield anyway, defeated. Iran is also trying to crush the Kurds, as is Turkey. And another day I want to focus on Erdogan and that fascist. I'm a huge fan of the Kurds. 
They are pro-American, pro-West Muslims. And they've done the bulk of the fighting against many of these, uh, these jihadist regimes and jihadist entities. Again, that another day, and it deserves attention. So what took place <clears throat> is that the Iranians sent a drone into Israel's sovereign territory. The Israelis sent up a helicopter, which shot it down. Uh, they also sent up some F-16s. When they set up the F-16 jet fighters, the Syrian air defense system retaliated, and uh, they came under heavy attack. And one of the jets was hit. The two pilots bailed out as they're supposed, and they bailed out in Israel. Now, the Israelis hadn't lost a jet in a fight since 1982. Obviously, the Israelis, particularly the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, didn't take very kindly to this. And they sent jets into Syria and may well have taken out half of Syria's air defenses throughout their country in a massive attack. And that's according to uh, local assessments in these various parts uh, that they took out uh, half, likely half of the Syrian air defenses. Russia, Russia said, has warned, although not directly, but directly enough, Israel that, hey, look, we have interests here too, and we have troops here too, and then nothing of ours better get hurt. You better watch it. So we want all tensions to be eased. The credit of the president and the Trump administration, they put out a statement saying that the United States supports Israel. Effectively, that's what they said. Now that's the situation right now. Hezbollah, Syria, Iran have all, not in unison, but they've all said, look at that, we shot down one of the Israeli jets. That changes everything. That changes everything. But ladies and gentlemen, Iran has $150 billion thanks to Obama, Vladimir Putin, and the Europeans. And they're using that for all the wrong purposes. And they're an aggressive country. They're going to get ICBMs. They're going to have nuclear-tipped missiles. Uh, and this is only going to get worse. And I predict, and I'm sorry to say this, and I don't make predictions because I'm great. I make predictions because I'm worried here. That one day we will be going to war with this country thanks to what Obama did. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Told you, I'm 85% there. I've got a lot of energy, but still this lingering thing. And I've got to make sure we don't relapse here, you know. Did you know that in 1925, an ounce of gold was worth $20, and it would actually buy two suits and a shirt? Well, times have changed radically since then, haven't they? We no longer carry a gold coin in our pocket as money. The government made us exchange that a long time ago for a $20 bill. PM Capital. 
PM Capital is in the wealth preservation business. You see what's happened to the stock market? Same thing happens with the currency. Keeping your buying power is their goal. Investors know that it's not what you have, it's what you keep. And today, if you want to buy two suits and a shirt and use the $20 bill, I don't think you can make it. Nope. Might buy a pair of socks. You still have that gold piece? Oh, yeah. That's worth something. If I had my one-ounce gold coin, it could still buy two suits and a shirt. That's called preserving your buying power. Don't you want to keep what you have? Learn more by claiming your free PM Capital Investor Guide. And for a limited time, receive $500 in free gold or silver on qualifying purchases. That's very good. And all you have to do is call them. Dial pound 250. I've made it really easy. Pound 250 and say the keyword Mark Levin. That's it. Pound 250, keyword Mark Levin. Dial pound 250 and say Mark Levin. Now, these guys are the specialists, and they're standing by. The government might be shut, even though they say it's open. But over at PM Capital, they're there right now. They have these wonderful specialists who are uh, very, very nice people. They'll answer any questions that you have. And I trust PM Capital. I told you I know quite well Scott Carter, who's one of the principals there. And he and I spoke at some some length, and, and this is why uh, I've decided again. This company, PM Capital, is the sponsor that I want. So I hope you'll check it out. Now, this Israeli response on Sunday, it is said to be the biggest military response since the 1982 Lebanon War most significant air force attack that they have conducted against Syrian air defenses since 1982. Looks to me like the Israelis haven't lost it, have they? But they also know that if war breaks out this time, it could be the worst one of them all. And I want to warn CNN and MSNBC right now, and I want to warn all the other phony journalists who pretend to go to the Middle East to cover the the events should such a horror happen. The Israelis won't be able to, I'm just giving my own opinion, they won't be able to cherry pick, they won't be able to pinprick anymore, they're going to have to wipe things out. Because Iran in the mix, the sophistication of weapons in the mix, um, the various air forces in the mix, the Russians backing the Syrians and the Iranians, the, the massive... Uh, Militia, the terrorist militia that is Hezbollah with 150,000 missiles. The Israelis are not going to be pinpointing anymore, nor should they. They're going to have to hammer and hammer hard. And, of course, they're going to have to look over their shoulder at Hamas and Fatah. You know, partners in peace with the two-state solution. The president said the other day that he knows the Palestinians don't want to negotiate for peace, but he thinks the Israelis, too, are kind of dragging their feet. I was kind of surprised to hear that. I really was. Um, And the reason is simple. I mean, what is it that the Israelis have to do? The Palestinian uh, regime, um, the Arabs that call themselves Palestinians, uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. They're on our terrorist list. I would ask the president, should they negotiate with them? No, of course not. Okay, well then Fatah. Well, they're led by a terrorist. You're watching the Olympics now. Of course, I'm not. But many of you are. I'm not into the Winter Olympics. What do you want? I'm not into winter. I'm not into snow. 
So people running and skating and jumping and hiding. I'm, I'm just... But anyway, so... Uh, Abbas, the grandfatherly-looking figure, he was the one who financed the uh, terrorist attack in Munich during the Olympics. That wiped out you know, most of the Israeli athletes there. And he's also the one who's financing terrorism. And we've talked about this at length. So if you're one of their terrorists... Uh, the more people you kill, the more mayhem you create, you get a little pension. Your family gets a pension. And there's sort of a, a, a grading system. Well, look at that. He wiped out a bus of little school children. He gets the max. The family gets the maximum pension. And you and I have been paying for this. You know, any money we give to that entity, whether through the UN or directly, uh, is used for other purposes, which frees up money to subsidize terrorists. And to the president's credit, he's cut 60, 65 million dollars from, uh, from our subsidies to them. But I, I, I would, I would caution the president that it, to say that, yeah, the Palestinians are a problem, but the Israelis are trying to drag their feet. That doesn't, that, that is, um, that kind of, uh, parallel comparison is simply wrong. And I say this as somebody who likes the president, who thinks he's done a tremendous job, uh, <clears throat> particularly with Israel, as a matter of fact. And one of the other things I think needs to be done, given what Iran, Syria, Hezbollah, and the Russians are up to, I think that we need to start moving and putting in forward positions the kind of weaponry uh, and other military assets that are needed, just in case all hell breaks loose. And if all hell does break loose, the Iranians must be defeated. For our sake, America's sake, as well as our allies, Israel and the Gulf Arab states. But Iran has killed thousands of American soldiers with the IEDs that it planted all throughout Iraq. And that it's planted in other parts of the world. And Iran wants those intercontinental ballistic missiles, not because they, they can reach Israel with it, so they can reach Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, and everywhere around and in between. I'll be right back. of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. So there's a guy most of us never heard of before. Porter, I think, is his last name. And what's it, four, five, six, seven days now they've been going on about this guy. Now, he's accused by his two ex-wives of physically assaulting them. And, of course, they're his ex-wives. I Look, I don't know who, I don't have any reason to suspect that they're not telling the truth. He denies it. But it's very interesting to me what the media focus on. Why has this been going on day in and day out, day in and day out? The same media that ignored allegations by Juanita Broderick that a sitting president of the United States raped her when he was Attorney General 
of Arkansas. They showed no interest in that whatsoever. I don't know who the hell this guy Porter is. I sure as hell knew who Bill Clinton was when he was president of the United States. Right? We have Ted Kennedy and Chappaquiddick. Mark, uh, you beat that dead horse. Excuse me. That's the point. How does a politician get over something like that, then be lionized in the United States Senate? And every time he would go on TV or any time he'd go on the Senate floor, he was treated with enormous respect and awe. In fact, that whole family. And it's not just Chappaquiddick. What took place in Palm Springs, his abuse of his wife, his first wife, No, 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 you don't understand. So I gotta keep hearing about this guy Porter. He's gone. And the only reason they keep it up is because they hate Trump. And now they want to take out Kelly, the chief of staff. No, 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 no. General, you stay put. I like General Kelly. I think he's a great chief of staff. What do you think of that? And I like the White House counsel McGahn. I think he's a great White House counsel. What do you think of that? This is an effort to pick off the president's senior staff. To make it look like there's confusion among the staff members, incompetence among the staff members. I'd say his staff right now is doing a pretty damn good job. I think Kelly's doing a very good job. McGahn's doing a very good job. They have a role in the uh, judicial Nomination process. Now let me explain to you how these security clearances work, since I went through them, and as Associate Director of Presidential Personnel for a period of time, I I know how they worked, and also as uh, Chief of Staff to the Attorney General of the United States. You don't just walk in and get a security clearance. You have to fill out a very thick form. It can be a half inch to an inch thick. They want to know everything about you. From elementary school, middle school, we used to call it junior high, high school. Every job you had, every place you resided, dormitories. I'm not kidding. you got to go back and figure it out. Dormitories, apartments, which house did I have? They want a long list of the people you met. And it goes on and on and on. It can take weeks to complete this form. It took the FBI six months to finally give me my clearance. Six months. Because they have to send field agents out to interview people for these senior positions. They literally go out and they conduct interviews. And they go through your background. To see if everything adds up. To see if somebody has something to say. And then they have to write it all up. They write it all up in a confidential document. And then they give advice to senior personnel telling them, well, we may have an issue, we may not have an issue, and so forth. And they're even reluctant to show the entire file to senior personnel. So this is what Kelly was dealing with. This is what McGahn's dealing with. And now, well, when do they know everything? And how do they know it? And how do you have people working around the president who don't have clearance? That's how you have people working around the president. You get temporary clearance. And it's not just Trump. It was Obama. It was Bush. It was Clinton. It was Bush. It was Reagan. That's how it works. Now, if there's a dispute, if you have, as an example, 
If 112 people have been interviewed and 109 of them say this guy walks on water. And then they have three say, no, this guy's the worst and let me give you 100 reasons why. You have to weigh these things. Again, I'm not even talking about Porter. I'm just talking generically how that works. You don't know if there's people who hate him or her and have it out for them and want to put it in the report. So you got to use, you know, your judgment. You got to think it through when you're writing it up, when you're discussing it with senior personnel and so forth. Well, Mark, they're almost a year. They're, they're what? They're over a year into this administration. How long did it take the FBI to do the report? When did this guy show up? I have no idea. Despite all the reporting, I have no idea. When was the report completed? And did most of the people in the report say this guy is the most loathsome human being they ever met? But the media do not care. It's just another excuse to go after Trump and his surrogates. And by going after his surrogates, they're going after him. And they want to paint him as anti-woman. They want to paint him as, uh, as, as defending wife abuse and women abuse. This is what they do. This is who they are. They are a despicable, unconscionable bunch of hyenas. It's true. I just told you how they treated Clinton. And look at this Gillibrand. Oh, he wants due process for border. Why don't you come up here, Mr. President? We'll give you due process. This fraud, this phony, who's now politicized sexual harassment to advance her own cause. That's right, I said it. Because she campaigned right next to Bill Clinton time and again. She took his support. He helped her raise money. She knew he'd been accused of rape. Incredibly so. She knew he'd been accused of assaulting women in the Oval Office. Incredibly so. She knew about the blue dress. She knew he lost his law license. She knew he was held in contempt. And right into and through 2016, she was as close to Clinton as he can come. And now, she's in charge of who gets punished and who doesn't. Well, not my world, not my life. I'll give you another example. Remember an hour or two ago I said, you ever hear of Tom Carper? Well, if you live in Delaware, you've heard of Tom Carper for sure. He's your senior senator. He was a congressman from Delaware. He was governor of Delaware. He's a senator from Delaware, and he's a buddy with Joe Biden, Mr. Tough Guy. The older Joe gets, the stupider he gets. And that's saying something since uh, he's been stupid for a very, very long time. Tom Carper. Free beacon. Tom Carper admitted to hitting his wife in 1998. Senator Tom Carper of Delaware admitted to slapping his wife in a 1988 interview with a veteran political journalist in the state, confirming an accusation he denied when first running for Congress. In fact, he gave her a black eye. Now, she's since passed away, is my understanding. But he's still a United States senator. Let me explain something to you. If Tom Carper wanted to work in the executive branch, he'd have to go through an FBI background check. And that would come up on his FBI background check. After six months, they'd present it to the president. Let's say he was going to be chief of staff to this president. And the president would have to make a decision. So here's my question. I told you I have a lot of questions in every show. And it's to get you to think. And to expose hypocrisy. And to, 
and to draw your own conclusions. Tell me if Tom Carper isn't qualified to be the the secretary or chief of staff to the president of the United States, given what he did to his first wife. Gave her a black eye, apparently, reportedly. He hit his wife. Then why is he qualified to be a United States senator? I understand elections versus appointments. That's not my point. He's a Democrat. He's a powerful Democrat in the United States Senate. And why is it that Kirsten Gillibrand will not demand his resignation? Why is it that she's so slow? Years to point the finger in her own party. She serves in the same party as him. They're in the same Democrat caucus. They eat in the same Senate dining room. The guy beat his wife. Or at least hit her. I've never hit a woman in my life. So I ask you, why all the focus on Porter and no focus on Carper? Go ahead, if you're going to focus on Porter, at least remind people about Carper and Gillibrand and all the other frauds. And every time Ted Kennedy's name is mentioned, there ought to be at least a comment by Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo, oh yes. The dumbest of the Cuomo's, and of course his dumb brother is governor of New York, and he used to be married to a Kennedy. You see, it's, it's just, it is what it is. And any time Kennedy's name comes up, people ought to be reminded about how he abused women, and in one case, some people believe left a woman to die. Or in the case of Bill Clinton, it should be Bill Clinton accused rapist, XYZ, whatever the rest of it is. But it never is. Instead, it's Donald Trump. It's his fault. And General Kelly, a military hero who lost his son in Afghanistan, he should resign because of this guy Porter. And let me tell you something. If this guy Porter did in fact hit his ex-wives, he's as low as they come. He's the sleaziest of the sleazy. But this can't be worked out by me. can't be worked out by the media. And the media really don't care about the facts. They care about the accusations. Because they want to take out Trump. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They want him out. And they want Kelly out because they think it hurts Trump. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let's go to Keith, Washington, Connecticut, the great WABC. Go. Good evening, Mark. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you for creating CRTV. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm calling about the leadership vacuum in Washington and what can be done about it. I think we have at least two very effective leaders in Washington, and one is Donald Trump. He got elected by going over the heads of the phony journalists and the swamp dwellers, with his message about building a wall and draining Who's the, the other one? Excuse me? Who's the other one? The other one is Mark Levin, because he oh, spent a whole weekend over a Thanksgiving holiday to find the solution to this over, seemingly overwhelming problem. But I don't think we're hopeless or helpless, because I think what Donald Trump needs to realize is that working with Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell to drain the swamp is like feeding the wrong end of a horse. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, if 
Mark Levin's listeners will all flood the White House with emails and uh, letters and tweets and so on, urging Donald Trump to get behind the Article 5 effort. Uh, he will find out what Article 5 is and will once again go over the heads of the phony journalists and the swamp dwellers and carry that message to people to contact their state representatives and get this convention going. Well, I, I have to disagree with you here. I don't really think going back to the federal government to encourage Trump or politicians at the federal level to help us with Article 5 is the answer. I think we go to our state delegates, our state representatives. They're very local. You know where their local office is. If you don't, it's easy to find. It's a couple of miles away. And you go and have a chat with them. Same with, same with your state senators. There's no role, really, for the president, certainly senators and congressmen. There's a ministerial role for Congress that's beside the point right now, uh, and that's it. But uh, we have plenty of politicians who've said they've endorsed it, and many of them keep voting for massive, bloated federal government. So I would say, no, we shouldn't be sending emails to the White House. We need to be focused uh, like lasers on state legislatures. I don't know what happened in Idaho the other day, but Idaho was right on the edge with a couple of goofballs. Of, hey, uh, and we got the John Birch Society out there making asses of themselves but stirring up trouble. Eagle Forum has really been, a, been disastrous, and they take the same position as these left-wing Soros-funded organizations. Either you believe in the Constitution or you don't. The Constitution tells us how to try and address this as a people. Uh, it's not a constitutional convention. Uh, Madison himself voted for this provision. Uh, Article 5 is in the Constitution. I didn't create it. And people who say they support the Constitution, well, we can't do this, are no better than leftists. And I want to thank you, sir, for uh, watching CRTV. I hope you're having a lot of fun. And take care of yourself in Connecticut. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Connecticut didn't have an income tax. Now it's so completely out of control. People from Connecticut are moving back to New York. You believe that? Rudy, Juno, Alaska, the great, well, Mark Levin app, how are you? I'm terribly terrific, and I hope you're doing well. I'm uh, glad that you're feeling a little better, are you? Thank you. Yes, sir. I can't wait to uh, get, uh, get a spaghetti and meatballs if I can after the show. Oh, mamma mia, what a spicy meatball. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> I get right to it. You know, I, I came here 50 years ago from Eastern Europe, and... Um, yes, sir. Obviously, I didn't climb, you know. And uh, it is so heartbreaking. I really, I was telling uh, your guy there, I really have a feeling we're not going to make it. I'm a realist. We, for crying out, I mean, they all want to remake America. A remake to what? To look like it was communist countries, socialism, but everybody was making the same amount of money and nobody did anything because of that. There was no incentive to work. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad that the young people, especially nowadays, and even the old ones, my God, look at uh, what you got in Senate and in Congress. Uh, look they, at Ryan, yeah, Bernie Sanders. They want to remake this country. I mean, it, it, it is, it, it's beyond, you know, there's an old saying, be careful what you wish for, you just may get it. And All right, my friend. Excellent points. I agree with you completely. It's amazing. We have an ongoing constitutional convention in this country when Congress meets, when the courts meet, when the bureaucracy is functioning, when presidents issue fiat, so many as Obama did. And yet, when I talk about a legitimate constitutional process, 
where you have to really lay out your hand and get enough delegates at a the convention is a meeting. It's not a constitutional convention. It's not called a constitutional convention. It's called a convention of states, a meeting of states. You know, you have a convention of dentists, a convention of proctologists. Uh, Stephen Colbert uh, is the chairman of that, I understand. No, this is a convention of states where states send two delegates uh, and they meet and they come up with proposals after they debate. Those proposals go back to the states and you need 38 states to ratify just as you do a normal constitution. But the Supreme Court, you basically need five judges to change the Constitution. Uh, and Congress seems to work the same way in many respects. Um, they think what they do is constitutional no matter what. And we're left out in the cold. And we're told, no, 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 you can't use the Constitution to save it. Well, why wouldn't you? I'll be right back. Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. You know, I love my Casper mattress. We have many Casper mattresses in the Levin household. In fact, we also have three specially made doggy Casper mattresses you can get as well. The whole world can get them. And our dogs love them. I love them. The humans in our family love them. It's made with such a high special foam, and and, uh, and it's made a huge difference in my life, too. I get a great night's sleep, let me put it that way, every night. And I never used to get that. And you really have to experience Casper for yourself. I'm quite serious about this. The team of engineers at Casper works nonstop prototyping, collecting data, and engineering what is certainly the most comfortable mattress. has a unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and alignment. So you feel perfectly balanced and comfortable, and that is true. And thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep coolly. Plus, the mattresses are built to last for years. Try your Casper mattress. Try it for a 100 nights in your own home, risk-free. They ship it to you for free in a compact box. And this is what I say. Take your mattress. You may even think you like it. Lean it against the wall. Get your Casper. Try it out. If you don't like it, send it back. But you're going to like it. I know you will. Now, by doing this, Casper, the way they ship it to you for free in the compact box, they've eliminated the middleman and all the added costs that come with it. Plus, if you don't love it, I said, you don't have to put it back in that tiny box. They come pick it up, refund you everything, no questions asked. It really is that simple. So this President's Day, not only is Casper saving you from aggressive salespeople on long lines during the holiday weekend, You'll also save $125 on purchases over $1,250 and $200 on purchases over $2,000. So don't miss out. Take advantage of this special. Limited time offer by going to Casper.com. Check them out at least. Take a look at it. It's Casper.com, code MARK. But Casper.com, Casper.com. All right. There is a, uh, you know what, I'm going to do this tomorrow. There's no time to get into this. What are you talking about? Well, that's my point. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Let's go to Steve, Springfield, Massachusetts, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, hey, Mark, how are you? Okay, how are you? I'm doing okay. I hope you're feeling a lot better. I'm um, doing a lot better. Thank you. 
I, I, By the I'm way, this sure tam, this tam, let, let me just say, this Tamiflu stuff really seems to work. Have you ever had that? The what kind? It's called Tamiflu. Oh, does, it does work good? Oh, that's good. Well, I mean, it's helping me. They say within two days, if you uh, if you have it, it's over the, you know, it's uh, it's prescribed. But I had it three days, and the doctor was wise enough to say, you know what, we ought to prescribe it anyway. And they prescribed it, and after about two, three days, I've started to feel better. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, but but anyway, um, when you were talking about like the insidiousness of liberalism, I mean, it, it just reminds me of the fact that it, what it is, it's like a, a really like institutional systemic form of brainwashing, and it really alarms me how many different tools they use to accomplish this. You know, like the welfare state, dependency, um, you know, the the gullibility, uh, you know, you, uh, appealing to somebody's emotions rather than their reason and intellect, and stifling debate i mean i mean these are all the like really brilliant tactics that that dictatorships have used and you know i mean how long can we live in a society like this before it caves in i don't know at some point something's got to give doesn't it yeah i I almost feel like we need like an enlightenment um like like we had hundreds of years ago an enlightenment of reasoning and thinking and critical debate and um you know (laughs) Um, I, I, I hope well, we I'm try not. to have that here, but you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel your pain. Trust me. All right, Steve, I appreciate your call, buddy. Ken, Orlando, Florida, on the Sirius satellite, go. Hey, good evening, Mark. Thank you for taking my call and circling back to my topic. Uh, I've been with you since uh, Levin TV, and even before that, I, I want to talk about convention of states and. Uh, just what's the priority for all these choices? I've read, you know, liberty amendments, actually everything from men in black through plunder and deceit, and uh, probably. Well, I still stick with my eleven uh, reform amendments, uh, and although I can't go through every single one of them here, um, the the core elements of several of them uh, significantly shifts power to this back to the states where it belongs. So let's take the spending issue for example. <clears throat> What I, what I have in there is that there is a ceiling that is placed on the ability to tax. There is a ceiling that's placed on the ability to spend. And there's a ceiling over time that's placed on the ability to borrow. Uh, those things need to be done. So when people run around and talk about a balanced budget amendment, well, that's not good enough, is it? If somebody takes 90% of your income to balance the budget, they've still taken 90% of your income. Uh, so that's number one. In terms of uh, the fiscal side, number two, uh, I would I limit overall uh, federal spending to 17.5% of the GDP. We've exceeded 20%. At times, we're reaching 24, even 25%. It's headed to higher than that over time. Uh, and the goal here, at least for me, is to is to not so slowly but gradually bring it back so uh, the the vast majority of the economy and the private sector is not nationalized uh, through the back door. So those are two, I think, very, very important points. Well, it's all about the money and the power, right? So 16th and... Well, those... That's not all... Okay. Did you not ask me which ones I would focus on? You did, sir. And I I, I think that you made great points. And on the 17th Amendment, I believe I'm the only one that even suggests uh, reversing that because... People get very, very nervous. Well, what do you mean? We can't vote for our senators anymore? 
But what I mean is uh, this isn't about pure democracy. This is about undermining the structure that the framers put in place so we have a representative republic. And, of course, that's in there, too. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like 17 was one of those things that the progressives put in as a poison pill to, to take down our republic. Well, it's structurally, it's been very, very harmful. But, you know, we had a very bad period there with the 16th and 17th Amendments, and uh, they were proposed mostly by Republicans, which is exactly my point. I mean, uh, we have OSHA, thanks to the Republicans. The EOC, thanks to the Republicans. You dare not speak against them now. We have the EPA, thanks to the Republicans. <clears throat> we have affirmative action, thanks to the Republicans. Uh, and I could go on and on and on. So, uh, we... You know, Coolidge and Reagan, those are the two to look at to really study and understand uh, when you want to understand more on the liberty and conservative side. Ken, I appreciate your call, my friend. Let's keep going. Isaac, Pasco, Washington, the great KFLD. Go. How are you doing, Mr. Levin? Good. Honest. How are you, sir? Yeah. Okay, uh, really quick. I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, like I was telling your call screener, I am someone who is here under the DACA program. And uh, I just wanted to make a quick well, comment. Well, congratulations. You're going to be a citizen at some point here. Well, like I was telling your uh, your call screener, I I came here. I wish there was some. There was. I didn't know until I got older that I was uh, here undocumented. All right, you want uh, you want to go through this? Let's go through that. Who brought you here? My parents did. And uh, hold on now, hold on now. They came here illegally. Yes, sir. They did. Why didn't and, they go through the normal process? Uh, well, in Mexico, I'm originally from Mexico. Yeah. Uh, and in Mexico, um, as far as I know, I'm not 100% sure that, how this works, but uh, you need to have be a, like a, a landowner or somebody so that you can get a visa to actually even be able to come out here. And well, so, that's uh, not our that's not our requirement in the United States. Well, you don't have to be a yeah, landowner. Well, that's that's what they they did over there. But at that time, that's what I was told. Like I said, I'm not 100 percent sure. But uh, okay, what I was telling your call screener is, um, I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian family. Yes, sir. And what I was telling the your call screener is that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I trust in God. I know that God is gonna is gonna take care of us, take care of us no matter what. No matter what the outcome is of, of this this deal that's going on right now, but there's one thing I wanted to tell everybody, and it's, it, everybody, and I mean like anybody that appreciates what this country offers. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we lived in poverty when we were in Mexico. I am fluent in both languages, right. and uh, there is a, such a big opportunity here in this country that it offers. And I, like I was telling your call screener, I wish that I had that we in uh, my family have been able to do it the right way, mm -hmm. but to our circumstances, we couldn't. We couldn't afford it. We didn't have money, and it was a lot cheaper doing it the way that my, my parents did. But my parents, my parents always told me just abide, abide by what, what your teachers teach you. Be good. Um, do what you can to provide for your family. Like don't try, try to provide for your family on your own. <clears throat> but if there's something that I would like to tell and everybody, Mr. Levin, to appreciate what this country has the freedoms and the liberty that this country offers. Because it, it is it is something that you will not find anywhere else. You can go any in, into any other country. Why, why do you think so many liberals, and frankly, so many people who come here, especially illegally, 
don't think that way. Because that's what we're taught, Mr. Levin. In, 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 I know, but people are here. They're living here. Now, you can compare your experience here with the experience even as a young boy <coughs> Hold on. in Mexico. The problem is we have people who come here who, and, and also people who are born here who know it's worse overseas, and yet they still trash the country. Damn. You guys, there's, there's so many people. Like, when I was in school, there were so many. I was, here, I was right here, Mr. Levin. By the way, may I ask you a question, Isaac, so we can get rid of this liberal myth? You're not hiding in the shadows, are you? I used to be, because I was I was scared, to be honest with you, Mr. Levin. But you're not now, are you? No, sir. You're calling a national talk show with eight and a half million listeners. Yes, sir. I, I understand that. And and, and uh, this, do, you, do you have a job? Yes, sir. I do. I, I'm not going to get into it on on the air. <clears throat> did you go to school? Yes, I did. High school? Did you graduate from? Uh, I, I dropped out in, in 11th grade when uh, I tried enrolling in the military when uh, September 11th happened. And what happened? I, I, and I tried to enroll in, in the Marines because I yeah. had heard uh, that supposedly when the Iraqi war was going on that you could serve and, and gain citizenship that way. Yeah. But uh, I, I was told that I, was, I wasn't able to. Well, so you I, can now. Uh, I can tell you that. No, you can't. I've, I've, I've already checked. I tried. General Mattis just said you can. Oh, that is a big lie. I called. So General I called Mattis is lying. Look, sir, we have 900 illegal aliens in our military right now. I checked. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that you had you had said that. Remember when, when Trump had that meeting with with? Uh, I remember, and I looked it up. There's 900. And as a matter of fact, I keep hearing liberals tell us all the illegal aliens who are serving in the military. <clears throat> I actually called the White House that same day that they that, that they. Sir, asked you're me. calling an operator. Why don't you go, if you're really serious about this, and I'm not saying you should if you don't want to, but you can go into a recruiting station. You don't need to get on the phone. Go into a Marine recruiting station or go into an Army recruiting station or a Navy recruit, whatever, and tell them, this is who I am and I want to join. And I bet you they actually, take you. No, I actually, I went, um, I'm being honest with you, sir. I actually went to one here. I know, but sir, I'm telling you the military does take illegal aliens and put them in the military. I'm, you're well, telling me your experience, but I'm telling you what's going on. Okay, well, I tried and they wouldn't let me. <laughs> okay. And that's, that's an honest truth. I and you sound like a very I... nice guy, by the way. Yeah, well... So tell okay. me something. If, 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 and of course it's not going to happen, but if somebody were to say, all right, you're out of here and you're out of here, would you apply legally to try and get back to the United States or would I you would. stay in Mexico? I honestly, I would, I would, I would do, try my heart out to do because And, you, uh, and you'd probably wind up coming back to the United States, right? I would, yes, because like I like I told you earlier, this country offers so many things that you cannot. I I agree, but I'm saying, if you were removed from the United States, which you're not going to be unless you're a criminal, and even many criminals aren't removed from the United States. But if you were removed from the United States, you would apply legally to come back. I would try, yes, to do to do so. Yeah. All right, all right, my friend. Anything else? Uh, well. I just I just wanted to clarify one thing that you guys a lot of people that you, they asked you one time. What's when that? When we apply for the DACA, they uh -huh. actually do a background check, like the yeah. whole deal, so that so that you that to make sure that you haven't committed any. So why? I, no, I, as a matter of fact, I've said I think a lot of people didn't apply because maybe they couldn't pass the background check. You know, and I and I like I like I tell a lot of my uh, there's a lot of people in in 
in my family that disagree with me on this. But I think I think you guys have every single right to do so. If there's someone who's committing crimes, that's, that's killing people, that's doing drugs and all Let that Let me stuff, tell you something, Isaac. I like you. And, and if you were ever sent overseas, back to Mexico, I should say, where you were born and wanted to come back, I'd do everything I could to help you come in here legally, too. What do you think of that? Well, I would really appreciate it. But like I said, it's common sense. Even in Mexico, they do this, Mr. Levin. I, I, I got to go. I'm not cutting you off, but I have a hard break. I appreciate it, Isaac. You take care. We'll be back. Levin. All right. It doesn't take much for grocery store shelves to go from fully stocked to completely bare. You ever see a snowstorm? Where I live, if it's an inch and a half, they cancel school. But please don't wait for an emergency to happen to become a victim of chaos. You know, some relatives of mine learned that the hard way the last fall with Hurricane Irma. Make sure you have an adequate food storage supply and use My Patriot Supply. These are great folks that have helped me plan for an emergency. Again, we're not talking about malicious stuff. and We're talking about real natural disasters. Get started this week only for as little as 10 bucks. Make sure each person in your household has a 72-hour emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. That's right, you heard me. For only $10 each, you get three days of emergency food. Limit four because of this incredibly low price. But you need to order now. 800-294-2325. Or use this special website. Preparewithmark.com. The food is really good. In fact, I'd even say it's delicious. It lasts 25 years in storage. $10 kits this week only. 800-294-2325 or preparewithmark.com. All the details are on the website. Preparewithmark.com. Folks, I should take a picture of it. I have it in my closet. I would strongly encourage you to do it. You don't know what kind of natural disasters are going to hit and so forth and so on. You saw what happened, not just last fall, you saw what happened last summer with the hurricanes. You see what happens when these, these, um, these horrific forest fires take place, earthquakes. You've seen it happen with uh, tornado. I mean, things happen. And then, of course, you have man-made disasters, too. So it doesn't take much. It doesn't even cost that much to prepare. Again, this isn't a militia thing. I'm talking about the real world, the real world out there. Well, I don't have time for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but she's blabbing on again in, uh, I don't know. She didn't even seem coherent to me. But she says that sexism played a prominent part in the last election. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, she happens to be right. She happens to be right. All those feminists who voted against Donald Trump, because he's a male. Did you notice that, Mr. Producer? All these left-wing women who voted against Donald Trump because he's a male, I'm sick of it. So I agree. I watched it. I saw Hillary Clinton playing the sexism card. Sexism did play a prominent role in the last election, and I'm tired of Democrats using it. All right, lady. And by the way, she should resign. She just can't be quiet about politics. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Check out Levin TV tonight. 
And I'll see you tomorrow, America. God bless you. Have a good evening.